Welcome to Tech Talk Online, sponsored by Stratford University. You can listen to Tech Talk Live Saturday mornings from 9 till 10. Find us online at federalnewsradio.com or hear us on the radio in the Washington, D.C. area on the following frequencies, 1500 AM and 1039 FM HD 2. We thank you for listening to Tech Talk Radio. Interfacing complete. Please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Tech Talk Radio, it's technology you can understand. And now, here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We are in the virtual faculty lounge of Stratford University talking technology. I'm Dr. Richard Schertz. And I'm Jim Russ. Coming up on today's show, for sale, one lightly used FBI surveillance van. Elon Musk wants to merge the human brain and artificial intelligence. We'll introduce you to the inventor of the hashtag. And in Profiles in IT, it's Reynold Johnson, the inventor of the first computer hard drive. And, of course, it was a huge, huge mailbag. There's a letter in your mailbox. I would like to personally thank Mr. Big Voice for paying attention today because everything else is screwed Uh, up. Amazing. Even in the other studio, it still works. Put down the beer, and he found us in the right place. That's right. We got an email from Carl Tyler. Dear Dr. Schertz, what is corn hive? And should we be worried about it when using our – should we be worried about it using our computer resources to harvest Monero cryptocurrency? Are there some websites that we can go to that use our computer power to mine other cryptocurrencies, such as Bitcoin in the background? And how can we present this? By using ad blockers, I use uBlock Origin. Will this prevent uh, Cornhive from being installed? Have you done a Profiles in IT about Brian Krebs? I get his newsletter every week, and he informs me about a lot of other cyber criminal activities. Does Mr. Big Voice ever get a vacation? Does he deserve one? I think it's time. I don't think he deserves one. I don't think so. Loyal listener for a long time, Carl Tyler. Yeah, I don't think I don't. We don't, Mr. Big Voice never gets a vacation. Because actually, because he's on thin ice all the time. Here's the deal: he 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 vacations during the show. That's correct. <laughs> That's a, that is correct. So he doesn't need any more vacation no, time. No, he does not. Now this. Um, uh, that's a good uh, profile on IT suggestion. Uh, Brian's, of course, a, um, a journalist who was hacked. So he decided to learn a little bit about cybersecurity, and he's got, he does have an interesting newsletter. I'll take a look at him for a future profile. But the CoinHive is actually, it started out as a brilliant idea. And what these guys did who developed CoinHive, they, Coin Hive, they said, you know, there are a lot of websites out there that, uh, that really are free, and they would like to monetize the traffic. And so they said, well, why don't we set up a system where those websites can put in some code on their website, and when you're looking at the website, your browser will be used to do cryptocurrency calculations, and you can you can basically help the website earn money. And the split is done where the website that that hosts the code gets seventy percent of the cryptocurrency um, revenue, and CoinHive, the people that develop the code, get thirty percent. So I mean, so that that was a brilliant idea. Then that way you don't have to go in and see all these obtrusive ads, and websites can earn a little bit of money. So in the beginning, it was a great idea, and they started going to websites, and certain websites put CoinHive on there to, 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 to earn money. But here's the problem. 
anybody can download that code. Anybody can go to Corn Hive and uh, Coin Hive and download the code. And wouldn't you know it, hackers began doing it. So what hackers would do, they would take and hack into websites who really didn't know anything about Corn Hive, and they would upload the Corn Hive software to that hacked website. And then the hackers would get paid whenever the crypto coins were done. And so this is called, uh, you know, crypto hijacking. And there are 30,000 websites that have CoinHive installed on it. And this has all been installed by hackers. And people are estimating that CoinHive is making about $150,000 a month out of all of this. You know, and so they said, well, you know, and they're not really trying to enforce the hacking problem because they, because they're making money, whether it's whether it's a legitimate use of CoinHive or not. Mm-hmm. So that is a problem. And you can go around to websites and you can uh, and you can you can you, you can be infected by corn, uh, CoinHive and, and you'll and they'll use a lot of your a lot of your, you know, your capacity. I mean, the, the first site, one of the early adopters was Pirate Bay. They already had a notorious operation for, you know, distributing illegal, um, um, you know, MP3s and movies. And they, they did it to earn money. And people sort of noticed that whenever they go to Pirate Bay, their their computer would slow down. Um, and then uh, they, you know, they started complaining about it. And so other legitimate sites started using it. Most of the sites that were using Cornhive uh, and, and actually wanted to get paid for it. When you really start analyzing it, and I, you know, I saw a layout of it, are mostly porn sites and sort of uh, unsavory sites were using it. So this is a problem. Now, ad blocker will not block Cornhive per se because it doesn't show up as an ad. Now, what I'm running, I'm running malware bites on my um, on my computer. I run it in. That sounds like a delicious snack food. It's just malware bites. Yeah, it's just you know, it, and you know, you 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 really don't get fat on that. You can have as many <laughs> malware bites as you want, and I'm telling you, you don't you don't pick up one one extra pound. That's great. So I, I'm running wall. It's the shirts diet. Uh, that's right. I'm running malware bites, and uh, and it does really a good job. So I went to uh, so I went to the Cornhive website last night with mall with my malware bites, and it immediately told me don't load the site because there's malware on hmm. it so so they're actually blocking sites with coin hive now um suppose there's a site that you you know a le- legitimate you know site that you want to go to a new site that's using coin hive to earn money you can whitelist it so that malware bytes won't block it but i don't think there are too many of those sites out there uh, we got an email from Azra in Fredericksburg. Dear Tech Talk, I love to use the Facebook platform and have all my connections there. I'd like to expand my presence on the site using blog-style posts. What's the best way to create a blog using the Facebook platform? I want an easy way to format text and insert pictures because I'm not too technical. Enjoy the podcast, Azra in Fredericksburg. Well, Azra... Facebook Notes is an excellent option for you. This is an application that uh, that they, that is on the uh, on the uh, Facebook website. It's ex- it's an app that that they've that they've written, and it's basically a reimagined version of the note taking feature that Facebook launched about a year ago. Now, unlike the previous version, it's been designed more like a basic blog editor than a simple note taking application. Now, you simply can open notes on Facebook. You can click on the note entry listed on the left sidebar. Or 
uh, it might be, there might be a drop-down menu of settings, and at the bottom you'll see notes. Click on that, I and mean, when you open up the note application, click Write a Note, and it opens up the note editor. You can add a, a cover photo at the top very easily. You can add a nice title. It's got a handful of formatting options, like adding headlines. It's got two levels of headlines. You can add photos. You can add bullet points. You can add numbered points, uh, you know, like numbered lists or bulleted lists. It has basic format, formatting options, like you can insert quotations, and it changes the font beautifully. You, it has bold and italics fonts, got embedded objects and images. So it turns out to be a very nice, you know, no-frills um, blogging platform. And you, you, it, it's easy to use, and then you can, you can create a note, you can save the draft, and you can just keep working on the draft. And then when you finally think it's right, you can then post the, publish the draft, and will show up on your timeline. And it's uh, it's really very nice. The only disadvantage of notes, I suppose, and I saw did see people complaining about it. Facebook has a way to you can pay to boost your uh, uh, boost your uh, postings by you know sending it to more people to get more people to read it, get more eyeballs. And um, uh, notes are not boostable, so to speak. So. So that's the one uh, the, the one disadvantage. I think it's not boostable because it's actually an application. The reason Facebook set up this Notes app is that they didn't like people going outside of the Facebook platform and creating a blog. They want to keep everything on Facebook. So it is a nice option. Now, the one uh, thing, if you really want, if you really become a real blogger and you know you want to make money at it. There, there are limitations. You, you, you can't uh, instant, you know, install plugins to extend the blogging platform. You also can't make money by having advertising on your blog site because Facebook wants all the money. So, if you really want to become a real blogger that's going to make money on your blog, you'll probably want to go to a blogging platform like WordPress. We got an email from Stu and Kill Amarnik. Where's that? I don't know. Somewhere down in the northern neck. We got an email for, uh, dear, uh, from uh, we got, Dear Doc and Jim. Every time I put my phone in my pocket, I make butt calls. How can I keep my iPhone from dialing by mistake and deleting the icon? Don't Stu, put it in your on. pocket. <laughs> okay, this, this is the thing, Stu. You've got to lock your phone before you put it in the pocket. You know, if, if you simply hit the home button on your iPhone, it, it stays open. And you, you can actually delete icons, you know, the whole screen is active, and it's very easy to make a butt call. If you lock the phone by pushing the, uh, you know, by momentarily pushing the power button, um, the phone can't take any action until you unlock it, and you won't make any butt calls. So I think you're just not locking your phone. And, you know, it's always frustrating when you get somebody with gets a new iPhone or a new Android phone and they make butt calls. In the middle of the night, you get the same person. You know, the calls come in and you hear some party noises in the background, <laughs> muffled sounds. Who, and who then, do you share your phone number with? And then, you, and then you hang up and then 10 minutes later, another call comes in. It's quite frustrating. So there are, there are occasional, you know, butt, butt calls can be annoying at times. We got an email from Kim in Ohio. Dear Doc and Jim, I'm confused by cloud backup and cloud file syncing. Can you explain the difference and let me know which I should be using? Love the show, Kim in Ohio. Well, Kim, there's a big difference between file syncing tools and online backup services when it comes to backing up your important files. You're probably familiar with services like Dropbox, Google Drive, Microsoft OneDrive. 
These services provide a special folder, and anything that you place in that folder is synchronized with your online storage as well as with other devices that you have set up. So you could actually synchronize files and transfer files from a laptop to an iPad to ver- to an iPhone, and you could sync across all of those devices. Now, but because these services are designed for syncing, syncing, S-Y-N, S-Y-N-C-I-N-G, syncing, synchronization, if you delete a file or change a file on one device, it'll change it on all devices. So it's really not a backup. It's really designed to synchronize files and, and synchronize a folder between multiple devices. Dedicated backup services work differently. They don't automatically sync your files between devices. They more, work more like traditional backup tools, which would back like that you'd use to back up all your files on a PC or a Mac, like you'd back it to an external hard drive. But instead of backing up to an external hard drive, you back up to the cloud. Now, there's, you know, the backup services generally cost a little bit of money. You've got Carbonite, which is what I use. You've got iDrive. You've got Backblaze. Now, Backblaze, for instance, you can get unlimited storage for about $5 per, per, per PC or per Mac per month. I like Carbonite. It backs up everything. And, you know, when my... When my when my laptop was run over the other you know last <laughs> was year, run over, when yes. it was run over and mm-hmm. totally destroyed, mm-hmm. I d- I didn't lose a single file. Uh, you know, that just it just brings up a bad memory. It, I, I, well, you, I really didn't, a, I really didn't like an that entire memory. funeral segment d- d- dedicated to your I laptop. I know it was it was gone. That's that's what happens when you leave a laptop sitting on top of a on the trunk of well, a car. Well, see, when you said was run over, yeah. that takes a great deal of of guilt. Out of what happened, that's There's, right. It's like no fault, no fault of mine, no, no. fault. All I did, I, I left it on the on the back window of somebody else's car in mm-hmm. my garage at home, and they left with the with the laptop they, on the back. They, they unnamed yeah. person left. The unnamed person left, and it just and threw my laptop at an intersection, and it got run over. But I didn't lose a single file because I had everything backed up with Carbonite. Mm-hmm. So that was really quite nice. The other thing I liked about now I use iCloud to synchronize. All my photos between uh, my iPhone and my my laptop. I mean, I was in, uh, you know, I, you know, I was out taking a lot of pictures in the Himalayas, and I went back and did something else, and then I went canoeing, and I forgot to take the iPhone out of my pocket. Totally trashed my iPhone, but because everything had been synchronized on iCloud, mm-hmm. I didn't lose a single picture. Wow! So you know, so you know, file synchronization uh, methods are pretty good, but but they're not backup. We got an email from Susan in Alexandria. Hi, Dr. Shirts. On today's show, this would be the show uh, two weeks ago, you mentioned that you use malware bytes as an antivirus. Does malware bytes interfere with Windows Defender? If so, what do you recommend, Susan in Alexandria? Well, Susan, malware bytes is a very light antivirus software, and you can run it on top of other antivirus software. So it's actually quite good. And those who've used it uh, uh, say that you can just run it right on top. You can run Windows Defender and leave malware bytes there because they actually are searching for different things, and malware bytes is really effective. And if you want to use the real-time features of malware bytes, you have to pay for that, but it will block an ad that you might be going into. Uh, before you get infected with antivirus, uh, or before you get infected from any malware, which is on that device. We got an email from Raymond in Kansas. 
What is IFTTT? Don't ask me. And can I use it to trigger events? Uh, Love the podcast, Raymond in Kansas. Well, IFTTT is an application, and it stands for If This, Then That. IFT is if this, and TT is then that. If this, then that. It is actually a triggering device that's quite interesting. I, I actually use it on my cell phone. What you do is you download the app IFTT to your iPhone or your Android phone, and then you link it to uh, to a device that you have. And IFTT has built into it many applets which will tri- which will trigger events. So, for instance, at home I've got my internet connected garage door, Next Garage, that I talked about on the show a few weeks ago. So it turns out that IFTTT, if this, then that, has an applet for next. So I went to the applet for next, and I put this trigger. If it is 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, close the garage door. So now every night at 9 o'clock, you know, you know how sometimes you go to bed and you say, oh, did I close what the garage door? What if somebody's driving through the garage door at exactly 9 o'clock? Well, that, that is a problem. So you, you <laughs> so, Well, that's why you have the sensors. Okay. <laughs> That's why you have the sense. You're putting that, a lot that, of faith in this. Yeah. So so every night at nine o'clock, uh, my garage door closes. But but you could do things like, if it is raining, send me a text message to take an umbrella to work. This is just way too complicated. <laughs> no, it's extremely easy to set up once you download IFTTT and you and you search around for any of the devices that you have in your house. You can trigger them. It's actually not that. It may sound complicated if you don't see it, but it's very, very easy to use, and it's. Uh, you have a PhD. It's things. It's, things it's, are simpler for you. It's. I mean, actually, I could have probably lived without having my garage door close automatically at nine o'clock. I, I could probably survive, mm-hmm. you know, you know, quite quite well. And but now that I have this IFTT. Every night at 9 o'clock, I say, I wonder if IFTT works. So, so actually, I could close the garage door myself. I don't have to have it automated because it's not. Whatever it, happened to just doing stuff on your own, right? I mean. Uh, and now with my garage door, I don't even go out and push the button. I, I close my garage door from my cell phone because it's all connected to the Internet. Mm-hmm. In fact, I could open my garage door right now here in the studio. Open my garage door. I don't know what use that would be because I can't drive through it at this moment. But it somebody might drive through it if you do that. That's right. It could be available. <laughs> yeah that that is a problem. That reminds me of I was uh, I was once visiting someone and they and so the guy walked out into the garage and he opened the garage door, got in the car, and waited for his wife to come out. She came out thinking the garage door was. Closed. Oh, boy. She pressed the button oh, no. and took the open garage door and closed it. Hopped in the car and he backed through oh, the and he backed no. through the, he backed through the garage door. See, this is what I'm this, telling you. This, this is too would much. be an issue. Like if you were going to go out some night and you know for a quick bite to eat or a like, drink would make it even worse. A, a, a quick drink, at like at two minutes to nine. You run out to the garage, run out, hop in the car, open the garage door, and then the IFTTT triggers the garage door and it closes and boom. Right on your car. Yeah, so that could happen, but I'm going to be See? very, I'm going to be very okay, careful. Okay, is there an IFTT that overrides IFTT? If this, then that, but not that, or something. I don't know. Well, I don't, you, you I don't think so, but the, you, you may be having it. It's, it's actually a fun app. 
It is a fun app. Until you drive to the garage door. Okay, this thing. This is the thing. Like you know, go to a cocktail party. I F T T T. If this, then that. You know, if you drink too much, then I'll go home. (laughs) We're all familiar with this. If I start telling tech stories at the cocktail party, the room will clear out. That's right. If you're too boring on tech talk, I'll turn off the radio. (laughs) That's an if this, then that. (laughs) We got an email from Jim in the studio. Yeah. Dear Doc, I bought a new thumb drive to use as a backup for the one I've had for several years, and I dragged a bunch of files and folders to the new drive. And I've only had it for a couple of weeks, and already several of the folders containing MP3 files on the new drive are corrupted. And one entire folder is bad. I got another one with corrupted audio files within the folder. I've tried to scan and repair the drive, but that doesn't seem to work. I tried to delete the corrupted files. That doesn't work. I can't delete them. Is there a way to wipe the drive and start all over again? Well, I'm going to guess that you probably copied all of the files over and pulled it out before they had been fully transferred. No. That 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 did that, not happen? No, it worked for a while. Oh. It worked for a while, and then when I plugged it back in, um, I got the, the – the, it's, it's been corrupted code. Do you want to recover it? Blah, blah, blah. So I mm-hmm. tried to follow the instructions on how to recover it. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't work. It doesn't work. So, the, so if you've got a Windows 10, you can go – you know, you can right-click on it. Uh, you can go to the you can go to the thumb drive. You can right clip on it, and you can. And there's something called check button, and you'll mm-hmm. well you'll, you'll come up with a you'll come up with a, with a screen. There's a tools tab. I think at the we top. only have eight at work. This is where I use it at the yeah. other job. Well, I well set then it, it, I, well it, I think it'll be very similar to seven okay. and eight seven and so what it is you right click on the removable disk icon, mm-hmm. and then there will be a. Um, a window that comes up click on tools mm-hmm. and then you'll go down and and if i think if you got seven or eight it's going to say you know scan and repair if you have 10 it's going to say check so you hit the check button and then the scan and repair will come up and so you click that so that's the windows system doing a scan and repair i have it with me now let's try this okay now if that fails you can reformat it and then you'll lose all the data on it, and That's then you—it's a, a backup. It's okay. It's a backup, so you could you could just reformat it, and uh, if you want to do that, you simply the same thing. You 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 highlight the uh, the 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 thumb drive. You right click on that, and then in, instead of going to tools, you'll just see something that says um, that says format. So you click format. And then you've got a chance that says repair device defaults. Click on that. And then you can click start, and you'll start the reformat process. And um, and now you may want to do, there's something called um, quick formatting. Quick formatting does not check the, 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 the drive for errors, but I think you'd want to uncheck the quick formatting so it'll, so it'll do a deep dive in the in the in the in the drive and isolate any bad sectors. Okay. Then once you say okay, click on that and then you're so you got two two options here to try to fix it. Okay. So I've, I just put it in in the computer uh-huh. and uh, right clicked on it and I just I hit that right click on format. You want to format? You want to try to cl- fix it first or format it? Yeah. If you just want to format it. Well, I want to fix it. 
Yeah, so then go down to the bottom under where it says properties. Okay, Click on properties. properties, and then you'll see a tools tab at the top on the second tab from the left. I see nothing. Okay, let's move on. I'll figure this out later. Okay. This is boring radio. I can listen to All right. Now, we got an email from Arnie in Colorado Springs. Hi, Dr. Schertz. I'm using DSL reports for some speed testing, which you suggested that a while back. It's an it's interesting. Sometimes I'm lucky to get 300 kilobits per second out here in Colorado Springs. Other time I just get 130 megabits per second. But I've got a buffer bloat, and I'm getting a score of F on my buffer bloat. <laughs> I really miss okay. Verizon FiOS like you have. I, you know, I, how can I decrease my buffer bloat <laughs> so I can reboot the router? I'd say a diet's in order. <laughs> Can I buy an app to decrease it? Comcast Broadband is so fickle here in the springs, I could shout. Really enjoy Tech Talk with all your information. Now the buffer bloat problem has arisen. Arnie in Colorado Springs. Well, okay, buffer bloat, this is what it's caused by. If your router, when you're, when you're uploading, if your router thinks that the Internet pipe is very fast, it will send data out at a very fast rate. But if the pipe is actually slow, it's sending data faster than the pipe than the pipe can be filled up and it will go into a buffer to try to buffer it out. And that buffer then leads to latency. So if you have a like Skype calling, this is where it's really bad. If you try to use things where you need real, real time operation like with Skype, voice over IP you're going to get this tremendous latency in your conversation, and it's a problem. Normally, if you're just downloading web pages, you don't care if you get a little buffer bloat. You don't notice it. But if you've got things where t timing is really important, uh, you, you do want to worry it. What you need is if you want to manage the buffer bloat, you actually have to throttle down the um, the side of the uh, the pipe, which is too fast, to eliminate the mismatch between the two pipes. And you do that with smart queue management algorithms, and those are, those are actually built in the routers. Unfortunately, smart queue management algorithms have just been released, and not all routers have it. Now, if you really want to get the best router for smart queue management, because you just cannot stand that buffer bloat, now, if you're not using, by the way, if you're not using, you know, voice over IP or Skype or other things or video video chat, then it, the buffer bloat's not going to hurt you. But if you've got real-time connections, it, it, it will be troublesome. IQ Router has got a great, uh, you know, has got a great algorithm for uh, smart queue management, and it's very easy to set up. IQ Router got great reviews. People said they, they put it on there, it just, you know, they start it with an F on buffer bloat, and after it runs a while, and, and it and adjusts its configuration as it responds to your to your internet service provider connection, and they, the, the guys, you know, they, they eventually get it to A after a couple of weeks. That's an IQ router. Now, there are a couple of other, there are three other routers that actually have built in uh, QSM codes. You've got Untangle, NG Firewall, Ubiquity is one. And, uh, those are two more. And, but you have to, you have to then configure those QFM, QSM codes slightly. They're not auto-configured for you, so you've got to go to another website ipfire.org to figure out how to set up the configuration settings. So probably your best bet is to get IQ router. Now, here's the thing. You could call your router vendor support line, and you've got the information from DSL reports on your speed test and on your buffer bloat, and you can 
you can talk to them about the buffer, buffer bloat problem and ask them if they have a firmware update for your router, which, which, in Q, which includes QSM, or whether they have a configuration suggestion for you. You can actually manually fix it. They have something called quality of service, QOS, and you could go to your, say, your Skype call, and you could give it a very high QOS so it always has priority, and that can minimize the problem of buffer bloat for your voice over IP calls. But you're better off just getting a router that has the full QSM implemented. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu. We'll get back to you immediately, or we may um, cover it on the next show. True. It's Saturday morning, and you're listening to Tech Talk Radio here on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD2, 103.9 FM HD2. On the web at stratford.edu and also at federalnewsradio.com. You can watch us do the show by downloading the Periscope to your uh, app to your device and following us at WFED Tech Talk. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. Ready to make a real difference in 2018? A degree in cybersecurity, digital forensics, or networking and telecommunications could help you secure your future as you help secure the world. Stratford University is now enrolling for 2018. Classes start January 8th with career-focused IT degree programs to fit your busy schedule on campus and online. Let Stratford's experienced IT faculty share their industry knowledge and practical solutions to help you succeed in one of today's most sought-after fields with accelerated classes and year-round program starts to help you earn your degree faster. Register today at stratford.edu slash 2018. That's stratford.edu slash 2018, where you'll also find details on Stratford's limited-time $15,000 IT scholarship competition to help you achieve your degree goals. Get complete information now at stratford.edu slash 2018. Stratford University, changing lives one student at a time. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University. This is Tech Talk Radio, and now it is time for... very much. Uh, I have to change voices after that. Yes, you do. Uh, the profile in IT is Reynold Johnson. He was the inventor of the first computer hard drive. Now, Reynold was born in 1906 in Minnesota. He attended University of Minnesota. He uh, earned his Bachelor of Science in Education Administration in 1929. Wow. <laughs> and then he began teaching science and math in a local high school. Well, in 1933, his world came crashing around his around him, and he lost his teaching job. I wonder how that happened. Uh, I don't know. Let's see, 1933. This was, uh, yeah, this was. So he was um, Great Depression. Was during the Depression. Yeah, he still needed to go to school. Yeah, I know. He lost his, and so then he began. You know, he was in the Depression. He was looking around, and he had an idea for an electromechanical device 
that he could use for automatically marking and grading pencil mark to multiple choice tests. Mm-hmm. I guess as a teacher, he just was sick and tired of grading papers. So he was trying to come up with 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 mechanical and magnetic ideas for automatic grading. And he shopped his idea around, and everybody thought he was just crazy. Um, he tried to sell it to IBM. They initially refused the design, but in 1934... The company reassessed his machine and saw in Johnson great potential as an inventor. They offered him a position as an engineer in their Columbus University and Endicott Laboratories in New York. In 1952, now this was quite a bit later in his career at IBM. He's 46 years old at this point. He assembled a team. He was assigned because he'd he'd worked on all sorts of uh, mechanical, magnetic kind of devices his whole career there at IBM. And they asked him to come up with a method for mechanical storage of data. You see, up to that point, they were just, they, they, things weren't, you know, they, they didn't really have a convenient way to store things. You know, they were using cards and mm-hmm. punch cards and things like that. And so he assembled the team and began examining magnetic disk storage systems. Now, IBM asked the team to develop something which was really new at that time, mass random access memory. And that was a new word, random access memory, or RAM. But now we all know what RAM is. Exactly. Of course, RAM, you know, it gets the name because you can go to any one of the memory elements and you can access it randomly. Whereas if you had, say, like tape, you'd have to wait, you'd have to scroll through the whole tape, you'd have to access it sequentially. But you just jump in the middle and grab a piece, it's random access. So they wanted random access memory, which would be which would allow you to access the memory much faster. Johnson and his team based their work on magnetic storage experiments that were done by Jacob Rabinoff at the National Bureau of Standards. In 1955, Johnson and his team presented the first ever working hard drive to IBM management. It was called not a hard disk. You remember, IBM was in the in the business of making systems for businesses, and, but primarily international business machines. Yeah, primarily for accounting. So the first hard drive was called Random Access Method. For accounting control. <laughs> How exciting is that? RAMAC, R-A-M-A-C. Mm-hmm. Now this was very large. This was this particular hard drive weighed more than a ton. Now it 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 actually was made up of 50 24-inch magnetic discs rotating at 1200 RPM. I have in the studio with me one of the 24-inch magnetic discs. <laughs> Jim's holding this, up to the yeah, camera I, right I, now. I wanted to take a look at this thing. I didn't get a chance to touch it. It's heavy. It's it's what is this made of? It's aluminum. Ma- it's, it's aluminum. It's aluminum. It's about an eighth inch thick aluminum. It's and it's about two feet around. Twenty four inches. It's it and it would spin at twelve hundred RPM revolutions per minute. Now disc this nowadays spin around fifty five hundred RPM. Imagine Some the size of, of the disc drive that I was yeah. gonna say, imagine if CDs were this size. I Let's know. listen to a little Sinatra. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, now you can you could bang that like a drum, and it would make a noise. There you go. Listen to that. It sounds like a trash can lid. Good yeah, Lord. that now that particular disc has a capacity of ten megabytes. That's it. Oh my goodness. Ten megabytes. Now, in 1956, IBM introduced the first commercial magnetic drive called the Raymac 350, which some of them are still in use today. All of the drives are based on the basic system. Now, Johnson obtained over 90 patents in the course of his career, many in the field of card handling, punching, and reading machines. He also worked at Sony to invent a process for storing video on videotape that was half the width of normal tape. In other words, 
His invention led to the creation of the VCR. Oh, wow. Another big guy. Johnson retired in 1971 and continued to work in his educational engineering associates co- company, and he invented something which he called a microphonograph, which is used in Fisher Price's Talk to Me books. He died in 1998 at age 92. Something tells me he was so far ahead of his time that he didn't become rich on any of these I, ideas. I, I don't think he died a rich man, but he died a happy man. Yeah, I'll bet. He didn't die a rich man. He worked for IBM. They didn't compensate him at all? Well, I'm certain they did. Yeah. I'm certain they compensated him in yeah. some fashion, but yeah. it's not like he was uh, having big stock options like, yeah. like the guys now right. at, at Google. You're listening to Tech Talk Radio, heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD2, 1039 FM HD2, or on the web at stratford.edu. Ready to make a real difference in 2018? A degree in cybersecurity, digital forensics, or networking and telecommunications could help you secure your future as you help secure the world. Stratford University is now enrolling for career-focused IT degree programs on campus and online. Let Stratford's experienced IT faculty share their industry knowledge and practical solutions to help you succeed in today's most sought-after IT fields with accelerated classes and year-round program starts to help you earn your degree faster with demand at record high levels for cybersecurity, digital forensics, and networking telecommunications careers, now is the time to act. Stratford makes it easy, turning your qualified experience into credits earned, and if you're a vet, they'll help you maximize your military benefits. Get complete details and register today at stratford.edu slash 18IT. That's stratford.edu slash 18IT. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Live from Washington, it's the Stratford University Pop Quiz with Andrew Mitchell. The security guard at the front desk, featuring Mr. Big Voice, with musical guest, the Stratford University Junkyard Band, and your host, Jim Russ. Thanks for tuning in this Saturday morning. It is time to play the Pop Quiz, where we test your knowledge of what we just talked about in Profiles in IT. We just finished speaking of Reynolds Johnson, who was the inventor of the first computer hard drive. Johnson was a high school math and science teacher, but when he lost his job as a teacher, he developed a device that did this. If you are the first person to call us with the correct answer as to what that device is, you will win tickets for two for fine dining at any of the Stratford dining rooms in the Washington area. And if you do know what that device is, now's the time to pick up your device and give us a call. If you're calling from west of the Rockies, how's the weather? If you're calling from east of Playa del Shirts, Virginia, it's 877-936-9333. If you're considering using a number two pencil to write your answer, don't. Call us at 877-936-9333. The wildcard line is 877-936-9333. And of course, as always, the international line is 877-936-39333. 
Andrew Mitchell, our adjunct professor for prize distribution and crowd control, standing by to take your calls. So, dial now. Here's a weird eBay auction item of the week. Okay. An old FBI surveillance van is for sale. (laughs) Someone in North Carolina is offering in what is described as a restored 1989 FBI surveillance van, complete with listening equipment, liquid crystal display monitors, two DVD players. The Dodge Ram 350 van has low mileage, only 2,300, only 23,000 miles. Yes, because usually it's sitting still someplace. It has one very careful previous owner, the FBI. FBI. It has double locking doors, and it has its own toilet for long stakeouts. So it's almost like a high-tech <laughs> That's camper. Right. Okay, the seller, who looks like a legit guy, has dozens of good customer reviews. He claims that while the van was recently been restored since leaving the Bureau... That he actually bought it legitimately at a government auction. That's quite possible. And that the vehicle was, in fact, used for federal drug investigations. It still has surveillance tapes inside with notebooks. It includes rear AC controls, the ability to kill the engine from the back of the van, onboard propane tanks, an intercom, a number of electrical outlets, two extra onboard batteries. It also they he also throwing in manuals for all the onboard surveillance equipment, full of documentation. To show that the van is legit. It'll come in handy if the police wonder what you're doing. So here's the thing. this this Can you imagine going around the old FBI surveillance I would van? love it. I would definitely love it. Okay, this hey. is the deal. The current bid is at $11,000. 27 people who you may be able to buy this thing yourself. You know, it's <laughs> funny. I went to the car show in Baltimore this past fall, winter, and uh, they had, I came, came across this, this uh, suburban SUV and it was all tricked out. And I asked about it. I said, oh, this vehicle uh, used to be the FBI or the uh, Secret Service vehicle that Jeb Bush used during the campaign. And the government is auctioning. Well, they're selling it. This uh, legitimate a broker bought it in the in the private sector, and he was he was uh, taking bids on this thing. It was in the I don't know close to you know six figures they wanted for this wow. vehicle, full armored. It was really cool. You're listening to Tech Talk Radio, heard every Saturday morning at nine on Federal News Radio, fifteen hundred AM, one zero three five FM HD two, one zero three nine FM HD two, or on the web at stratford.edu. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. Ready to make a real difference in 2018? A degree in cybersecurity, digital forensics, or networking and telecommunications could help you secure your future as you help secure the world. Stratford University is now enrolling for career-focused IT degree programs on campus and online. Let Stratford's experienced IT faculty share their industry knowledge and practical solutions to help you succeed in today's most sought-after IT fields with accelerated classes and year-round program starts to help you earn your degree faster with demand at record high levels for cybersecurity, digital forensics and networking telecommunications careers now is the time to act stratford makes it easy turning your qualified experience into credits earned and if you're a vet they'll help you maximize your military benefits get complete details and register today at stratford.edu slash 18 it that's stratford.edu slash 18 it 
If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. Let's talk about the guy who created the hashtag. Absolutely. Chris Messina. This now, is like profiles in IT too. That's right, but I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't have any scuttlebutt on Chris. Uh, Chris Messina <laughs> is a former former Google designer who first proposed that Twitter adopt the hashtag, commonly called formerly called the pound symbol. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and it's still called the pound symbol by many people. Messina first proposed that Twitter use the hashtag to create groups. He proposed this in 2007. Now, this was his original tweet. I went back and found the original tweet. He said, how do you feel about using pound for groups, as in pound bar camp? And uh, Twitter wrote back and rejected the idea. Really? They told him that these this pound sign idea is only for nerds. They said it'll never catch on. Oh, really? That's right. That's... <laughs> That's that was the, that, that's that's how brilliant Twitter Twitter was at the time. <laughs> now today, Twitter would almost be unusable without, without these hot ha- yeah, tags, exactly. without these hashtags. Even Facebook has adopted the hashtag as a nude as a news feed sorting mechanism. Messina chose to let the hashtag become a free device that anybody can use and not a licensable product that it could make money from. I mean, people have told him, "Well, Chris, you could have made a lot of money from that hashtag." He mm-hmm. said, "Look," he said. He said, I did not want to license it for that use because just the fact that it's licensed, it probably wouldn't have been used. And I wanted, Chris said, I wanted to make this available and broadly adopted across all networks and all mediums. He said he has no interest in making money off the hashtag. It was born of the Internet, he felt. It's owned by no one. He gets satisfaction out of seeing his little, what he calls a funny little hack, used widely today across the Internet. Hmm. So there you go. Chris Messina, a former Google designer who created the hashtag and gave the idea away. I'd say he just repurposed the pound he, sign. He repurposed. He didn't invent the pound. He repurposed the pound sign. Mm-hmm. And and along the way, we got to see that Twitter is not really as smart as they think they are. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about the joke of the week. This is Space Probe Juno's name. Now, the space probe that's now orbiting Jupiter has the name that's familiar to all, Juno. Now, here's the myth. Jupiter, or if you're a Greek, you would be called Zeus. Uh-huh. See, so whether the Romans called him Jupiter, but the Greeks called him Zeus. Okay. So if you are uh, Roman, you're, uh, you're, uh, Jupiter is the king of all gods, mm-hmm. and his wife was Juno, or if you are Greek, the wife would be Hera. So the wife of Jupiter was Juno, but their marriage was troubled. I have a funny feeling, I think. Mostly because of Jupiter's rampant infidelity. Mm -hmm. When the Renaissance astronomer named Simon, by the name of Simon Marius, claimed that he had discovered the planet Jupiter, that the planet Jupiter had four large moons. Now, they've since found more, but he saw initially four large moons. He decided the name after the gods' most famous lovers, Eo, Europa, Granamede, and Callisto. <laughs> and so these were named after the four most popular lovers of Jupiter. 
Now, when NASA named their solar-powered spacecraft, they named it after Jupiter's jealous wife, Juno. (laughs) (laughs) So this is the grand joke. So now Juno is like circling through the clouds, trying to deep down in the atmosphere to see exactly what kind of activity is going on at Jupiter. That's pretty funny. (laughs) So Juno is trying to catch Jupiter in the act. (laughs) (laughs) And so there you go, the joke of the week, NASA's space probe name Juno. I'm telling you, that story about Juno. I had That's no pretty idea. Funny. Neither I did had I. no idea. I learned that, all that, kinds of stuff today. I had no idea that NASA would be so uh, clever. Uh-huh. It just was unexpected. Okay, now, here's the AI story of the week. A robot lawyer helps people fight parking tickets. <laughs> the world's first robot lawyer has saved millions of dollars by helping overturn parking tickets. An AI chatbot has successfully challenged 160,000 traffic fines, resulting in savings of over $4 million. The chatbot is dubbed Do Not Pay. It operates in both London and New York and doesn't cost the user a single penny. It was created by a London-born Stanford student, Joshua Browder. And he just made this thing up on his own just because he was... uh, And it's only been live for 21 months. Over 250,000 cases have been taken by the chatbot so far, and it has a 64% success rate. Hmm. It's really pretty impressive. Now, it works by figuring out whether an appeal is possible. So it asks you a series of questions. Where were there visible parking signs? How big was the parking space? And it asks you a series of questions. After you answer all the questions, it generates an appeal for you. It writes it for you just like a lawyer, and then you send in that appeal to the civil authorities. Now, Browder created this chatbot after being hit with 30 separate parking tickets in London. Wow. He just got fed up with it, so he started writing his own appeals. He says, well, why don't I just make an AI chatbot that will sort of write the appeal for people? So he did that. So it now is working. It now works in New York and London. He's getting ready to expand it to Seattle. So this is the uh, – it also has other – he's expanded to other legal issues. It can also work on compensation for delayed flights, like if your flight is delayed, it will tell you how to get compensation from the airlines for that. It also provides HIV legal support. You can go to do donotpay.co.uk to find out all about the robot lawyer that fights parking ticket. Beijing wants AI, all AI, to be made in China by 2013. According to the New York Times, if Beijing has its way, the future of artificial intelligence will be made in China. The country laid out a development plan last week, that would be in um, the middle of July 2017, where they uh, were planning to become a world leader in AI by 2030, They want to surpass all rivals technologically and build a domestic industry worth about $150 billion. China will be investing heavily to ensure its companies, government, and military leap to the front of the pack in this technology. Many think this will one day form the basis of all computing. The plan comes with China preparing to invest multi-billion dollars of a national investment into AI and support moonshot projects, as they say, startups, academic research. This desire on the part of China may actually be a bigger threat than nuclear weapons. 
Because if you've read Ray Kurzweil's book, The Singularity, that where he talks about the point where computers become smarter than people and start programming themselves and have an accelerated rate of improvement, Kurzweil projects that the first country to achieve the singularity will have such an enormous edge that the other countries won't be able to keep up with them. Mm-hmm. And this, in fact, may be a bigger threat than nuclear weapons. Wow. So I think we need to watch this. AI could be, you know, the next major breakthrough for countries because you see what happens is that as soon as AI can start programming itself and improving it, it starts accelerating faster and faster and faster. And pretty soon you've got weapons that are so sophisticated that the other countries can't just keep up. So Ray Kurzweil has been really, you know, worried about this reaching the singularity. But Elon Musk is also worried about AI. He is warning us that AI, once we once we let it out of the, once we let the genie out of the bottle, we're not going to get it back in. Now he's he is really worried that the extreme advancements in artificial intelligence are going to make uh, humanity unnecessary. Wow. And, you know, and so he's saying, you know, and then we, we might have systems that, that begin to overtake uh, humanity and, you know, like change development in the, in the earth completely. So in December 2015, uh, Musk took the first major action and announced the formation of OpenAI, a nonprofit research company that hopes to advance digital intelligence in a way that will benefit humanity as a whole. They leaked details asserting that Musk is backing a brain-computer interface venture that was founded in order to allow humans to keep up with advanced-made human intelligence. It's called Neural Link, and it's still in its early stages of development. Neural Link is a brain-machine interface development company. They want to create cutting-edge BMIs that were that, the interface between the brain and the computer. Doing this will support the growth of the company while providing a perfect vehicle for putting innovation to use. They're planning to bring something to market that will help severe brain injuries like stroke, cancer, lesion, congenital, you know, improve. And they think they'll have something that will help those to help those victims in about four years. He thinks that the technology is eight to ten years away for use by individuals with a disability. He believes... And he feels that AI could spend the end, end of the human race. So what he wants to do, he wants to find a way for humans to plug into the computer and become cyborgs so that AI, AI is okay. not going to outpace us. So we become hybrid. So being able to work on the neural code is uh, and, and integrate it into a man-machine interface is really what he's focused on. It really sounds wild. But he's worried about this. Mm. And Ray Kotschold is worried about us when we reach the singularity that we'll lose control of it. And I think there are these are valid concerns, and I don't think enough work is being done to really look at that. Talked earlier about my really unfortunate experience at a wine tasting where they brought out all 13 bottles of wine, and they had been previously opened, and they were oxidized. Uh-oh. And uh, when Wine oxidizes, it change, it cha- the aroma changes, the flavor changes, the color might change. And, and not it, for the better. Not for the better. And it does affect 
the consumer's ability to enjoy the wine properly. Meaning you. Meaning me. I did not, <laughs> and we know how the doc I, likes his wine. I did not. I did not enjoy that that wine that much. I did drink all 13 samples because well. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I didn't want to waste it. Of course not. You paid four dollars and fifty cents for it. it. I'm Darn gonna, it. I'm gonna, We're gonna drink it all. I'm gonna suffer through it. Now, wine <laughs> wine can oxidize in as little as two to eight hours, and the oxidation depends on the on the type of wine, how quickly it will oxidize once you open the bottle. Now, there are various ways to um, keep wine preserved. Primarily, these all revolve around trying to keep it away from oxygen. Uh-huh. That's the key. Now, the cheapest way to do it, I've never done this, but you know, some people might do it, is that you drink half a bottle of wine, and then if you cork it, then you've got air in the top half of the bottle. Yeah. So some people simply have a half bottle of wine, and they pour the wine into a smaller bottle so there's no air at the top, That's and then an they cook that. Idea. So they rebottle it. So they have various size bottles, and they just rebottle the wine with a smaller in a smaller bottle. And you just Keep those bottles around. I don't now. I I really have never done that, but it, I suppose you could do that. Now other people have. This is an idea that I don't know if I'd do this. They just drop marbles in the wine and they bring the level up to the top of the bottle. First of all, let's make sure the marbles are clean. You want to make sure yeah. the marbles are. And the problem is, then when you pour out your wine, a marble may fall into the wine glass. I'm or, thinking this is more like a kid's way to do that it. That sounds like a kid's way of messing up a good evening is what it sounds like. But you see, you know, I'm sorry, have you, have you lost your marbles? I mean, uh, Yeah, in your wine glass. In your wine glass. Well, I, here's what I can see the marbles doing. The marbles then, because they're heavier, go to the, the neck, and then you can't get any wine out of the I bottle. know. So, but the, I'm, listen, I'm giving all the options. Okay, and then I'm you, sorry then to interrupt. Kind of, you, you, it's a trade-off here. Mm-hmm. Now, you also, for $10, you could buy... A spray of uh, of of an inert gas. Mm-hmm. It, could, it could be argon. It could be nitrogen. And this spray has like a little has a little tube in it. And so what you do is, after you use the bottle of wine, you just spray a little bit of gas in the bottle and then cork it. And now the spray or the the argon gas is heavier than air, so it settles on top of the wine and it so isolates it from the oxygen. It's a protective barrier between yeah. the wine, and that's pretty neat. That's right. Now this will extend the life of a bottle of wine for up to a week. Wow. Now my problem, Jim, wine never lasts in my house a week. I've noticed that. <laughs> See, I mean, I, I see that when we get the outline for the show, and it's there's typos. I, I don't really, I don't really need that. I don't really need to keep a bottle of wine around no. for a week. But for those of you that, well, for like if you drink say one glass, and there's a, they say there are four and a half glasses in a bottle of wine. So I mm-hmm. guess if you'd have one glass a day, it could last four and a half days. Okay. But if you have two glasses of wine a day, it's only going to last two days. Okay, we need to ask the Surgeon General whether or not that's a good idea. If you idea. have four and a half yeah. glasses of wine a day, it lasts one day. You need day. to make a phone call. So there's, so there's <laughs> a deal. Now, now, there's also the vacuum pump. Right. And I've also got the vacuum pump at home, too. I've, I've got the vacuum. I've tried, I've tried to, I've never tried the marbles or I've never tried the rebottling. I think we need to do that in the studio one day yeah. and see how that works. That's right. What so, do you think? Well, we could do that. Now we they, need to bring it into the laboratory. We should, we should do it. Now the vacuum pump, 15 to $40 and you basically pump it out and you, and it pulls out most of the oxygen, but not all right. of the oxygen. So it doesn't really keep the wine for a week, but it keeps it for a few days. Uh-huh. And so I've got a little pump sometimes and I'll pump out my wine. But um, <laughs> thanks for listening. See you next week for more Tech Talk Radio.
Tech Talk Radio is sponsored by Stratford University. For more information on courses at Stratford University, call 1-800-444-0804. Thanks for listening to Tech Talk Radio Online. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the Sleep Number Bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my Sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details.